tasers, how taser use would be monitored, and how police officers could be held accountable. This event takes place on September 4th at 7 p.m. at 1939 Addison Street in Berkeley. It is wheelchair accessible and is a benefit for Grassroots House. For further information, call 510-525-5497. KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno. Online at kpfa.org. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover, Open Book. Hello and welcome to Cover to Cover, Open Book, or as I like to say, Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan. I'll be with you for the next half hour talking about film. I focus primarily on documentary and uh, I have a treat for you today. We're going to talk about the new film that's showing at the Shattuck and the Roxy entitled Rich Hill. It's a documentary that won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance, but um, when you hear Rich Hill, you imagine either some fellow or uh, a town that's really rich. That's why it's called Rich Hill. Rich Hill is a place in Missouri. It's 70 miles south of Kansas City, uh, 15 miles east of the Kansas border, and it used to be a thriving mining town, um, maybe why it was called Rich. But now the coal is gone and it's been mined out. So stores have been closed, people moved away, farms were sold. And uh, it's a story that's happening throughout America in many different ways. So interestingly, two filmmakers, Tracy Dros-Tregos and Andrew dros Palermo uh, together made a film looking at Rich Hill, focusing on uh, three young adolescent boys about that really somehow captures something about um, what's happening in America today and what's happening in the heartland. With me to talk about it, the film is Tracy Drostregos. Her first documentary, Be Good, Smile Pretty, was a film about the profound and complicated feelings of loss caused by the deaths of American men in Vietnam. Looking at it 35 years later, uh, she's the film aired on Independent Lens and won a 2004 Emmy. Um, so welcome to KPFA. Thank you so much for having me. So, you know, it's interesting to think about a film about the heartland focusing on these three young boys. What drew you to the story in the first place? Well, Rich Hill is my family hometown, so it's where my father grew up um, and where I spent a lot of time as a kid. Um, my father died when I was very young in the Vietnam War, um, and so my relationship with his parents, my grandparents, was incredibly important. They were like surrogate parents to me. Um, and, you know, over the years, I've seen the town increasingly fall on hard times. Um, in my lifetime, it was never, you know, the, the mines were never open, but, um, you know, but I've seen families struggling and only as I get older, increasingly so. So the original inspiration, um, in the film is a collaboration with my first cousin. So it's a, it's a family hometown for both of us was to go back, um, to this community that we loved and had, you know, such a connection with and to understand what it was like particularly for the families there um that you know appeared on the outside um to be very vulnerable and having quite a hard time 
So now, I guess if we think that the, your first film was about Vietnam and this film, that you're actually making films that really are reflecting something about your own identity. So how does that kind of play out at the same in the, in these films that you're both not covering yourself, but also kind of sideways, <laughs> obliquely yeah. looking at something about your life? Well, I mean, I think, you know, as a as an independent filmmaker, there is often the, the personal inspiration behind, um, you know, behind any work. And, and it is the thing that, that drives you that perhaps you're personally exploring in your own self um, that carries you through some of the lean times. Because certainly making independent films, there are many lean times when you're not exactly sure how... A film is going to, you know, be completed. It's not like there's somebody, you know, funding it in total or, you know, you've got a studio behind it that, um, you know, wants to get it out there. So, yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of personal stuff in there, even if it isn't, you know, directly about me. <laughs> so. Right. And and at the same time, you didn't choose people who, you know, I assume in some ways you got out that you um, that you are able to go back, that you're able to uh, make a living as a documentary filmmaker in some form or another. I know that that's uh, always difficult, but uh, you focused on um, these three boys. So what made you instead of choosing somebody who was the quote-unquote success story, you really yeah. captured um, these three boys who were struggling with many different issues. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, in part, there's the going back to this place that I that I loved and had a connection with, and there isn't, you know, it's it's not that everybody in this town is struggling. It's very average. It's a community like so many um, across the United States. Um, and, you know, I, I think when people think, oh, it's only happening in Rich Hill, no, of course not. And so, uh, um, but I, I think we made a connection with these three kids, um, and, you know, the, the heart of our story um, was found when we met them, and we met them in, you know, very different ways. Um, we met Apache in gym class. Um, and he was kind of, you know, he was acting out and, um, and we, you know, we could have focused our story on, you know, the preacher's son. Um, but, you know, the preacher's son, his story felt less urgent. You know, the, the folks who were, who weren't struggling didn't need their story to be told. Um, and when we focused on the people that were struggling, you know, there was a bit of pushback, like, well, why are you focusing on these kids? And are you going to sully the name of the town by only focusing on perhaps the negative? And ultimately, our response was like, you know, we are not, we do not want to focus on the negative at all, but we want to shed light on these folks who are in a hard place right now and could use, you know, some attention and and by focusing on them we certainly aren't selling the name of the town because there's also some really wonderful stuff going on in their lives and they have a lot of potential. It's just that they're, you know, in a hard place right now. Um so <laughs> so so you saw that that these were kids that had potential in a certain way that that wasn't really being recognized. How did you convince them to participate in the film? Well, you know, it um 
it evolved in different ways. I mean, in part, we were, um, you know, we had some credentials going in because of our relationship with the community. And, you know, my grandmother had been um, a third grade school teacher for about 30 years, and my grandfather had been a mail carrier, so he um, had delivered mail to a lot of folks. And they were really, you know, really nice people and very well loved. So we had, um, you know, we had that credential kind of going in that um, that we were their grandchildren. And then also, you know, the first film that I had made about Vietnam had in part been about my father and his death, and people felt that I had done a good job with that. Um, and so there was just some trust built in. But, you know, ultimately nobody, you know, starts out in their life thinking that they're going to be the subject of a documentary, and it's it takes a lot of bravery Um and ultimately, I think the families felt like they wanted to share their story. And in part, there was kind of a surprise that anybody was interested in telling their story. Like, why us? Um, you know, people weren't regularly knocking on their doors and asking about how they were doing and what was going on. And so the notion of, yes, you know, we want to, we want folks to see, we'll, we'll share this. Um, uh, so it became a collaboration, um, uh, ultimately, I feel. Well, let's talk about each of the kids and and uh, kind of what what they represent. I don't know if you thought about what they represent when you're making them, but making the film. But Apache is a kid that uh, I could imagine that if I was a teacher and if he was in my class, I would be really upset. That yeah. I would uh, that I would think I need two aides to work with him <laughs> full time to kind of help organize him and get him to stop being um, preoccupied, angry, aggressive, out of control, um, difficult, defiant. You know, the list goes on and on. So yeah. um, he's a pretty unique kid to focus on, uh, and I can imagine even filming him you must have had <laughs> it could have been trying at times yeah no it was i mean the thing about apache is that he's also incredibly smart um you know i mean if if we're wanting to you know it's hard to rate someone's smartness because everyone is smart in a different kind of way but he's actually been tested and is a genius um i mean he's he has this intelligence and he reads he's also you know um so uh, um we were drawn to to talk to him and to kind of get inside what was going on for him he also has a you know a bit of a heart of an artist um since um spending time with us you know over such a long period of time He's now declared that he wants to be a photographer, um, and at a festival recently, um, someone in the audience actually gave him a camera, um, so I hope that he continues to, to take photographs and develop that. Um, but yeah, there's also this like deep, deep desire for attention and, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that um, he feels having been essentially abandoned by his father um, and his mother, who really doesn't have the bandwidth often to give him. Um, and so he's, 
you know, he he struggles um, a lot and is kind of in and out of the juvenile justice system. Um, I mean, he's still being supervised now by them. But, you know, here's somebody who I feel like has such potential and yet has so much um so many strikes against him, and it's it's a question of you know how is he going to be able to overcome um, all the challenges <laughs> in his life? Um, and I don't know, you know, I, I I don't have the answer for him. We're speaking with Tracy Dros Tragos, whose film entitled uh, Rich Hill is playing at the Shattuck in Berkeley and the Roxy in San Francisco. My name is Raina Cowan, and you're listening to Cover to Cover. Uh, you know, so he's somebody whose mother had him kind of too young, I think, and didn't, and never really wound up having her own youth. So there's a lot of pressure on him in many different yeah. ways. Yeah, we saw that a lot. All of the parents in um, in the film were teenagers when they became parents, and then there's you know this thing that happens that you know parents are kind of robbed of a childhood, but in a sense. That robs the next generation also of a childhood because the lines of parent-child are kind of blurred. And we saw that a lot, especially with Andrew, that he's kind of parenting his parents sometimes. Um, and there's, you know, sharing these kind of adult responsibilities and decisions. And, um, you know, it's, it's inspired actually another film that I'm working on now, which is kind of the prequel to Rich Hill, which is what it's like for you know, teenage moms and um, particularly in rural America um, when, you know, you have <laughs> have a child when you are still a child and have so much growing up to do and, and how do you chart your own future um, in the context of now being, you know, taking care of other kids. And in particular with Delena, she's got six children in her care and works as a... Um, works at Pizza Hut um, and, you know, doesn't make enough to make ends meet. So um, they're often evicted and, um, you know, they don't move around as much as Andrew, but they're, um, you know, moving within, you know, Rich Hill or neighboring communities often. Um, and it's a, it's a day-by-day kind of struggle to survive and when you're in that mode it's real hard to think about bigger hopes and dreams and future aspirations um but in part we focused on the kids because unlike the parents it felt like their hearts hadn't fully been broken (laughs) yet um you know they still had the sort of child sense of i can do it um the world is still open to me, you know, I can still imagine what I might be. And that's, you know, obviously such a precious thing, that hope that can so easily be extinguished um, with, you know, a lot of the obstacles and challenges that they face. Um, Certainly. And Apache is some a kid who, in some ways, decided to make himself be unpleasant as a way to protect himself whereas andrew is somebody who's very charming and that he you know he's he keeps on moving he keeps on sort of having um sort of an optimistic view as a way to to manage his life 
in a way, even though things keep on going wrong. Um, but but he ha- he's a different kind of personality. Yeah, I, I mean, I was very inspired by his optimism in the face of so much. I mean, for Apache, I think I was really uh, moved by his sort of forgiveness and, you know, when things would happen in his family, his love for his family, you know, in, that endured. Um, but, but for Andrew, um, you know, he, he loved his family for sure, but he also had this kind of optimism. Um, you know, what he had that Harley and Apache don't have is he had two parents who were there, you know, despite their own, um, you know, flaws um they they were there and they were loving and that makes a difference um his father also is a bit of a dreamer and optimist um maybe too much so (laughs) but um but he still had you know of all the parents he was the one that still had some hope for himself and his future and that kind of you know that really affected and informed who his kids um were so that allowed Andrew to have a kind of optimism that the others really you know don't have um as much so technically how did you track for example Andrew down because he was moving all the time and you were uh you did you come there like at a certain um every few weeks every few months how did it work well we um because I have a family myself. I have two young daughters. Um, you know, it wasn't possible for me to just live there for 18 months, but we would go for a week or 10 days every six weeks or so. And it was, um, it was hard <laughs> sometimes to keep track because people would have cell phones, but then the cell phones would run out of minutes and, you know, nobody had landlines and, um, and no email and um often you know there wasn't a computer so with andrew in particular um they really had the least methods of getting in touch with them so um often it was just through facebook and you know it was facebook that they had accessed through the library at school or perhaps um you know, or perhaps the public library, although the public library in Rich Hill is not open very often. So just through Facebook, and then if we were unable to um, to get in touch with them that way, often we would just arrive and track them down that way. And sometimes, you know, they would miss them. Um, I remember when they first moved away from Rich Hill, they actually didn't move to Sayre, but they moved to Alabama. And we were in touch with them, and we bought tickets to go to Alabama, and then they moved to Thayer, Missouri. (laughs) Um, And we were, you know, it's hard as an independent documentary to sort of absorb these costs and say, oh, no, now we've got to do, you know, we've got to, you know, ticket changes on our hands. But we did that. You know, you would change the ticket and and find them in their new place. And um, so, yeah. There's a kind of unselfconscious way that they all are speaking all three of the boys so i wondered how uh you know so much in documentary you ask questions but then um the questions don't appear on screen so i was wondering what kind of questions were you asking each of the kids to get the answers that you got 
Yeah, I mean, we um, we didn't have strict kind of sit-down interview time and strict, you know, observation. We're not going to talk to you. We're going to be poker-faced time. We would often um, come in and out of conversation when they were involved in, you know, the business of their lives. Um, so... And I think the questions were often motivated by, you know, what they were doing or what perhaps they had just experienced um, because we were there and, you know, we'd obviously, you know, be there when they perhaps experienced something positive or perhaps something stressful. Um, so, you know, a lot of it might have been around, you know, a kind of aftermath of something or preparing for something. You know, Harley, it was right before his birthday and he was so excited about that. Um, you know, so, so that, um, those were really the things that prompted conversations and questions. Um, and I would also take notes at the end of a day about maybe things to revisit or things that I'd wondered about. Um, my cousin and co-director was often behind the camera, so he, he's the cinematographer and, um, you know, such a joy to collaborate with him because he has such a beautiful eye. Um, but I, you know, my, my part of this collaboration was really being charged with how, you know, how we focused our conversations and, um, and what we, you know, our, the talking that we would have. So. You know, I, the film in some way is just captures so much about, uh, poverty in mid-America. But I don't know if when you're doing these interviews, if that's what you're really thinking about, because you're also making a film about these three kids and what they're thinking about and all the intense things that are happening that, to them from visit to visit. So, yeah. Uh, how did you kind of negotiate in your mind um, as the director both of those elements while while you were talking to them? Yeah, I mean, you know, I we knew that we wanted to tell a very intimate story um, that was really about people and less about statistics or, um, you know, even, you know, so um, it, we really, for the most part, always focused on um, on their their. Uh, personal experiences um, and what was going on for them because they're living to, in varying degrees um, uh, in poverty, often that was what they were dealing with. Um, you know, it really was like, how are we going to have, you know, hot water tonight? <laughs> um, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to figure it out. Um, so... I think for the most part, it really just came out of their circumstances and less our kind of fishing for it. I mean, certainly we were focusing on families who we knew were vulnerable and, you know, for whom we knew that that was a challenge. Um, So, you know, so that, um, I hope that answers your question. (laughs) And does your, did your cousin live in the town too, or is he... Does he live somewhere else, and he came back there also? Yeah, he came back there also. He he was actually a bit of a nomad um, during this production, and for a long time he was living with me um, out in Los Angeles. (laughs) Um, And we would, you know, we would 
do, you know, a week or um, 10 days with the families, and then we'd come back here to my home with the footage and um, and edit it and, you know, un- understand where the story might be going. Um, so it, it was important that we were together, and often it just <laughs> was honestly less expensive um, when he was between places to just live here with me. Um, so it was a kind of 24-7 uh uh, collaboration in that way, but um, he and he is now based in Los Angeles as well. Uh, we're talking to Tracy Dros Tragos. Her film Rich Hill is playing at the Shattuck and the Roxy uh, right now. So, so that so that's interesting. So you were basically you didn't shoot everything first. You were shooting, coming back, and editing and organizing as you were yes, going along. For sure, for sure, and that helped. You know, part of it was just a financial reality of how as documentary filmmakers um one often has to uh put the funding together is that you'll need to share your progress and work samples and say you know this is where we're going and um when you're submitting for grants and so forth um but it also certainly helped us you know know the direction that we were going with the film and and know um, you know, know what we wanted to focus on. We brought our editor on, um, in May of 2012 when we were, we had, I think, a, one more shoot after that. But, um, we had about a three hour assembly at that point that we had whittled down from 400 hours of footage. So we'd already done a lot of work at that time when he came on board. Um, he went back to, a lot of our, you know, original footage because he want, you know, um, so he wasn't just working from that three hours as a, as a base. But, um, but yes, we did a lot of work all along the way. So did you only interview these three kids or did you sort of whittle them down? Yeah, there were other, there were other families and other kids and that always is somewhat, um, somewhat of a hard process we knew that we couldn't make audiences um sit through a three-hour film um you know this is there is some hard stuff in this and it wasn't um we couldn't sustain we felt a three-hour experience um and we also knew that we couldn't overpopulate it that if we had too you know if we included too many of the stories and too many of the people um in the families that it would just be too hard to track. You know, we would we would lose our audience that way. So, uh, yeah, we had to we had to cut people out. You know, Harley lives with eight members of his extended family. Um and you know, we really just focused on him and his grandmother because it was just too many, you know, it would have been too crowded. Um now that, you know, that being said, there's one young woman who we followed who I'm doing another film on right now. So, you know, some of the outtakes inspired other stuff and will be used in other ways. Um, but it's, it's very hard to, to not include as much as, <laughs> as much as we shot and all the people that, you know, who, who were brave enough to share their stories. So. Yeah, we have just about a minute left, but I was wondering if there was a way that you have a sense of how any of these boys would describe you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, how they would describe me. That is, you're giving me a minute to come up with that. I, 
<laughs> I, I, I hope in some positive way. I mean, I think they see me as a bit of a mother figure um, and, and a little bit uncool in that way. You know, I, I don't always know the names of the music that they're listening to, but I think they, um, I think they have an affection for me, and I certainly have a deep affection for them. Um, you know, and I hope our relationship will be, you know, ongoing, you know, for a lifetime. That's wonderful because you captured captured them in such an intimate and powerful way that it's nice that they could see you in a certain role like that. Tracy Drose Tragos, uh, her film Rich Hill is showing right now at the Shattuck in Berkeley and the Roxy in San Francisco. It was a grand jury prize winner at Sundance this past year. It's been a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you very, very much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, this is Raina Cowan. You've been listening to Cover to Cover, Frame to Frame, Open Book. I will be back next month for another show looking at issues related to film, and I hope you'll join me then. Thanks for listening. happy that's the name of a dazzling new film by michelle gondry the film is an animated conversation with noam chomsky is the tall man happy will show at the grand lake theater in oakland on wednesday september 17th at 7 p.m in a benefit for the middle east children's alliance and it's wheelchair accessible riveting intimate and exuberant this conversation between the filmmaker and noam chomsky is a movie that celebrates the life of a great mind and makes a case for the mind that knows less but keeps on asking is The Tall Man Happy at the Grand Lake Theater, 3200 Grand Avenue in Oakland, September 17th. For info, meccaforpeace.org, 510-548-0542. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno.